0: Hello and welcome to this Nutri-Ingredients podcast focus on the gut-brain axis. Joining me for this discussion is Dr. Miguel toribio Mateas, who's a clinical neuroscientist, an author, a researcher and an educator on the gut microbiome with a keen focus on the gut-brain axis. Miguel has always been a fantastic source of knowledge on this latest research in this topic um, and he's able to put across the scientific stuff in a very consumer-friendly way. So in other words, he's an ideal podcast guest. So thank you so much for joining me, Miguel.
1: Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure.
0: Brilliant. So before we get stuck into your research and the insights that you can share from that, let's just briefly cover the basic background here. Could you give your definition of the gut-brain axis and give the listeners a flavour of why you're so passionate about this topic?
1: Sure, so um, it's a communication network, um, so it connects the gut and the brain and uh, it does this both physically and biochemically. So physically we have nerve, nerve endings, so we have the, uh, let's say that you can imagine the spine going up uh, your, your back and just along the spine you have the vagus nerve and a lot of that communication between the gut and the brain happens through that cable between the the actual the actual gut and and the and a specific part of the brain which is the or a series of anatomical parts in the brain known as the limbic system so and this is key because the limbic system is in charge of controlling emotions and stress response as well which is very topical for 2024 because obviously we are experiencing a stress epidemic and and people are a lot more aware of uh, mood disorders as well. Um, going back to the definitions, it's a network that connects the, the gut and the brain physically through these n- uh, nerves and also biochemically. And biochemically it means that it's a bit like a two-way street in a way. So you have um, signals being sent from the gut to the brain and back from the brain to the gut. And there is a an interplay between these messages that is complex. It's like an ecosystem, in a way, where we have a number of things happening. And these things are not just the microbes. Uh, we also have hormones, we have immune cells, we have uh, food, obviously, because food is, is feeding the microbes and allowing them to thrive or to... To starve if we are not feeding the the right substrate for microbes to to engage in in proper function and, uh, and this has a um, a very palpable effect on on emotions on mental health on overall well-being and uh, at one end of the spectrum we have mental health that is a little bit funny to define because we tend to talk about mental health in a very wide way. Uh, So at one end of the spectrum, we do have mental illness, as in severe depression and severe anxiety and schizophrenia and, you know, all of this kind of uh, um, spectrum of, of disorders that are major. And then we have mental health issues that might affect people like, you know, you might have low mood or you might be anxious, but you might not have full on anxiety that needs treating. And then we have stress and then we have the a little bit of feeling a bit out of whack emotionally so we have a whole spectrum of of mental well-being so all of that is affected by this uh, communication between the gut and the brain and i think that that makes me very interested in it because it's it's literally a complex ecosystem where just tweaking one part can have, have a major butterfly effect
0: Brilliant. So that gives us a really good understanding of um, why you kind of got into this field. And um, now I'd really love to hear about um, some of your research that you've done because I know it's been really fascinating. Because um, so, you're always seeming to wear. All sorts of different professional hats but I'll focus on a couple at first. So you're um, honorary research fellow at the School of Psychology at Cardiff University focusing on researching the connection between the gut microbiome and mental and emotional health and until very recently you were visiting research fellow in gut Brain Axis and Mental Health at the School of Applied Sciences at London South Bank University. So, can you tell me about some of the most memorable research that you've done with those teams and the findings that you've gathered and what's next on the research agenda?
1: Sure. So, I think when you look at this field, what I find so fascinating is that by looking at a few elements of it, Uh, you can get very microscopic and you can get quite reductionistic in a way that's how all of the science of association works because you need to split it all into small parts to then try and build it up again and make assumptions but any of the um of the projects that i've been involved in all whether they've been published or not, or the assumptions that we've made have been completely backed up then by other larger studies or not, they all have this ability to change people's lives, and I think that is for me is one of the things that I that I find quite translatable. is uh, is a very exciting field to be in because uh, a small change in somebody's uh, food choices can have a massive impact on how they feel, you know, at a number of levels. So from my fellowship at um, um, the School of Applied Sciences at Southbank University, London, Southbank University, that um, was a project uh, that was funded by the European Regional Development Fund, so it was a grant by by the ERDF, and uh, we were tasked with creating a system that allowed us to put together different ways to of looking at the microbiome and particularly microbiome impact on mental well-being um, so some of the projects were more microbiome based some of the projects were more in conjunction with the um, um psychology people and were more psychology based and microbiome based so they had like different inputs but the idea was to, to put the two together and i think the one that for me had um the one that was more in, most interesting for me was a small um, a clinical um, trial. Um, just for anybody listening, the the research that I've been doing has specialized in feasibility studies and pilot studies. So there've been clinical trials that may have um, 20 people on on each um, arm, for example, or 30 people on each arm. Sometimes not even randomized because they, they are even like a step before the actual randomization. So so that that's the kind of um area that I've been moving in. So um so one of the ones that was uh, quite exciting was then with the assumption that processed foods and we were using vegan meats, so um meat alter plant-based meat alternatives basically. Uh, like vegan sausages and burgers and uh, all this kind of thing that has become quite trendy, we were having the assumption that uh, they were going to be um, perhaps not so beneficial for the microbiome and we wanted to, we started with that assumption and we wanted to ha- keep an open mind and maybe challenge it to be be a bit controversial to actually say is everything that is processed because to go from a a bean to a to a burger, there's a fair amount of processing. So and now ultra processing is is kind of a you know everybody's thinking that is bad. So is it always bad? And we wanted to put that through the lens of the microbiome. So we tested that with a, a group that was given um, vegan meals. Um, and then another group that continued to have a typical British diet with, you know, with meat and eggs and fish and so on. And they didn't have any of the vegan meats. So and we compared what happened and we saw some very interesting changes in the microbiome of people who had the vegan meats. And particularly just um, the key finding was the a, a positive trend in the growth of um, butyric producers like Fecalobacterium, roseburia and so on. So really interesting microbes because they produce the short-chain fatty acids that then have an anti-inflammatory effect at local level in the gut. But also when you look at the the theories of how um, changes in the gut microbiota might impact mental well-being, they're all based around intestinal well uh, different areas but one of them is diversity which improved in people who took the the vegan um the vegan meals the key marker is butyrate production and and we had a a nice indication that in in the short spell of time that the study took to 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 be carried out so it was a month there was a really good indication that butyrate production was being stimulated so we looked at genes uh, in the micro, in the microbes that give you an indication of how much butyrate is being produced and that was a a way to to find out what was going on so that was one of the one of the studies and then I've been involved in a multi university team as well during my time at Southbank and I continue to be involved with them and that's looking specifically at an intervention with um kefia and ADHD So just looking at cleaning up somebody's diet by taking out ultra-processed foods and putting in as many whole foods as possible. So very simple dietary uh, advice. And then the main intervention is to add a daily uh, dose of milk kefir. Uh, And we uh, have some psychologists as part of the team. So we looked we have neuroscientists, we have psychologists, we have microbiologists and nutritionists. So we looked from all of those angles and the, in a nutshell, the symptoms that you tend to experience in ADHD like impulsivity, hyperactivity, sleep can be affected as well. Uh, we looked at a number of different areas and they all improved. Um, the adherence to the recommendations well, were next to 100%. Next to no side effects as well, a little bit of bloating or, you know, so nothing major. Uh, So we basically then revised the protocol to make it uh, a little bit uh, more extensive and to include uh, participants who, by the way, are children um, from eight to 18, who in the initial study, they were not treated or they were not receiving any CBT. And uh, in the um, study, in the revised study protocol that was published in the BMJ uh, open in December, um, we have um, allowed uh, participants to actually be on ADHD medications or on CBT. So we're going to do a comparison across the board. And we've changed the sequencing as well of the microbiome from 16S to um, shotgun to have a bit more of a, precise idea of the changes in the microbiota but the changes in the microbiota with the with the recommendations and and i I trust that is mostly because of the fear because it has been seen in other studies as well that it tends to have that kind of effect it's very interesting and uh, it's um, there are changes in whole families like the lagnospiracy family which is really interesting because it's a mostly a butyrate producing family of microbes and then you have your typical butyrate producers as well like the fecalobacterium roseburia uh, and other short-chain fatty acid producers like ruminococcus and coprococcus which also tended to to be um, the abundance tended to be higher so sorry it's been a bit of a long answer but those are the the highlights in my
0: yeah in my interesting that's amazing that you saw um, the symptoms of ADHD improve in such a quick space of time. And I guess that's the exciting thing about doing these pilot studies, where they're perhaps a bit quicker and easier to conduct, so you get to test a whole range of hypotheses in a shorter space of time. It's quite an exciting exactly. area for you.
1: Yeah, I, I love this field. I love the the uh, small RCTs. And also is the is the fact that you can you can engage in in this as you say hypothesis testing in a way that if you especially if you have a, a small uh, clinical study as opposed to just a feasibility study so if you if you're able to randomize so it has a little bit more validity i find that really really interesting
0: and so in which aspects of gut-brain axis do you think we've seen the most advanced research so far and which aspects of cognitive health are really lagging in terms of the supporting scientific evidence?
1: So I think we have a really good understanding of some of the mechanisms. So I, I was talking about uh, earlier some of the assumptions as to how the what happens in the gut might actually affect mental health. So um, if you look at studies done on probiotics, for example, then what we are taking into account is um, not just the ability to colonise because it's a little bit outdated, but what is the probiotic doing in the gut? Has it got anti-inflammatory activity? Is it um, contributing to a reduction of intestinal permeability, perhaps, and then there are markers for that. There's the sonulin that, you know, and and other markers that that you can measure. is it um contributing to um a reduction of inflammatory markers in the gut or systemically as well uh, so this um uh, is it contributing to overall diversity so there are there are a number of different elements that we know um and we have tried and tested over the last 10 years so um what i find so if you if you put this in the context of things like low mood or anxiety we have uh you'll know from the nutrient ingredients um um awards as well there has been a number of products coming up into in this space of you know trying to 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 target the gut brain connection i think what we may be lagging a little bit behind is conditions that are a bit more complex, for example, just looking at my own interest now in ADHD, um, it's it's a complex thing because it's um, it's not just a condition that you can just target with a tablet or with one probiotic because it has ramifications. So somebody with ADHD might also experience more sensitivity to stress so they're going to react to stress in a different way they might have um, more susceptibility to experience low mood because of overwhelm because of their ability or inability to deal with stress so there are overlaps between a range of different conditions that even though adhd in itself is not the way i see it a, a, a neuropsychiatric condition that that is fixed. It's um, it's got all of these ramifications. For me, it's a neurotype. It's a it's a type of brain. It's a type of wiring, and that that theory is, is being quite substantiated in terms of our imaging studies that are coming up. But yeah, I think another one is autism. So again, really complicated in, in experienced completely differently uh, by different individuals. But again, with these coexisting conditions that are the typical mental health conditions that we tend to talk about you know so the anxiety the depression and then some other disorders as well that go more into the severe uh, you know like bipolar and you know, schizophrenia and so on so there are those don't we don't tend to talk to we don't tend to talk about so much when we talk about probiotics because it's a little, a little bit too much for too far, yeah. for a probiotic to to touch yeah and also asking them how they feel because I think that is lacking as well in literature in general. We um, anonymize the person and we don't ask them how they are feeling throughout the process. And I think we we missing out by by not asking them, you know, a number of different things. There may be a anthropometric uh, anthrop- um, anthropometric metric data that we we getting from the study, so you know, blood pressure. And, number of uh, bowel motions or something. But it tends to be very, very numeric. It's not qualitative mm-hmm. enough. It's not just having a sit down with the person and having a chat and then transcribe, yeah. transcribing that and ex- extracting the insights on on how they are feeling. So I think that is another area that that we're kind of like lagging behind. But yeah, I think it's um, these things, we see them happening in terms of precision nutrition for cancer for example or you know we, we see studies popping up in literature so we know that the methods are there but in terms of them being used in in the gut-brain connection I don't really see them yet so there's that's still to come and it will be exciting when it happens.
0: Absolutely and so I'm um, thinking about the innovation in this space what First of all, is there enough scientific backing to be innovating with biotics for brain health, would you say? And if so, which aspects of health would you like to see this innovation focusing on?
1: Well, my experience recently when I was working in formulation was um, really interesting. So I was trying to put together a multi strain probiotic with a prebiotic combined as a complementary symbiotic and uh, and have that as a powder in a innovative kind of presentation and then i got the wall basically of okay well probiotics only last this long exposed to the oxygen so they need to be in a capsule ideally and and not only that the capsule needs to the to guarantee that you're going to get the two years on the shelf Um, kind of thing on the on the box then they need to be in a blister and the blister needs to have a a, a whole lot of stuff that is literally non-compostable non-recyclable because it's got aluminium with plastic joined together so it just goes on into landfill basically and I was horrified and like I knew that there were limitations but I was thinking okay well if you over calculate the amount of probiotic um um, um, the dosages basically if you dose for each of the strains to allow for the product to die out little by little on the shelf and you and you're ready to spend the money and you put 10 times more so you guarantee that by you know or you have a very short um shelf life and you say okay well my product is going to only be fresh for six months and it needs to be refrigerated or something but the manufacturers are very uh, funny about that kind of way of working because they don't want their product to then be associated with any bad claims so they are very protective of how they want to work and it needs to be blistered and all this so that to me was actually quite shocking the fact that there wasn't something a bit more it's 2024 everybody's aware of climate change Of the impact of plastic and single-use plastic on the environment Um, and I I was actually quite shocked by the fact that there's very little in terms of uh, compostable materials that can hold very little moisture so you guarantee that the the probiotic is going to be okay in a sachet for example so I moved on to try to get it into a sachet and trying to get into a sachet that is compostable or recyclable is okay, so recyclable is single, is mostly single use plastic. It cannot be recycled because it's too thin. Um, so uh, it, it, was a, it was a challenge for me, that kind of thing. So, in terms of the uh, benefits uh, for brain health of probiotics i think we're limited by the fact that in many countries you cannot even use the word probiotics so without getting into a bit of trouble and there are very few if any health claims around the world for probiotics so certainly in europe that is a challenge so you can only publish and then assume that by association the consumer is going to read those studies and it's a very gray area, so we haven't got any ability to say this probiotic, this lactobacillus um, strain uh, has done X, Y, and Z, and this is why you need to take it for your brain health. Uh, so we're relying on on methods that, in terms of formulation that we were using 20 years ago. So just adding a bit of vitamin C because that has a, uh, or vitamin, you know, selenium, because that has a a health claim and that will allow you to then get away with the health claim so it's and if you're looking at what people are doing it's very much that that you're limited to to having that you know to using that strategy and i i find that yeah okay it can get very exciting in terms of the research findings for a particular probiotic but then it's um it's limited by what you can, exactly what you can do with it. And also I find that the research, again, is, is quite reductionistic because if you mix too many probiotics together, if you mix too many strains and you create this lovely synergistic formulation, then you don't really know what is doing what. And then it's it, it can be a bit confusing from that point of view. But for me, it, it kind of like doesn't make a lot of sense to... Just use a single single strain or two strains together, which is what you tend to see in studies anyway. One strain or two strains together, and it's because of that reason. If you if you have ten strains, then you cannot really allocate the benefit to any particular strain, and then it, it's putting too many eggs in that particular basket of that um, a consortium of of um, strains uh, that the company may not want to just uh, rely on particularly so they they spread their bets by saying okay well let's do one strain at a time or two strains at the time and then we get a better understanding and our portfolio can be wider but then when you start thinking of the complexity of the ecosystem is that going to touch the sides when you really translate it to natural life to to human life that goes on for a long time as opposed to a study that has only lasted for four weeks. So, yeah, those are the areas that I think we could wow. do with something, a, a new way of working.
0: Huge, huge challenges for manufacturing. Yeah. yeah. So if resources were no issue for you, um, what would be a dream research project for you to do?
1: So I did a study um, with Cardiff. Um that was again it was a pilot study and we did it with a charity. Um so we um with the idea that people who work in the third sector they tend to experience a lot of stress because they, the the pay is not huge and they feel that they need to give the a lot of their energy to whatever cause they are supporting. Uh, and this has been reported. There's a, a lot of data to actually corroborate that kind of uh, uh, idea that you know there's a lot of burnout going on in the in in the charity sector. Particularly if you're dealing with people, and this is a we work with a charity that um, that deals with uh, people who have experienced trauma, and I'm uh, I actually work with the charity as a, a volunteer that is uh, focusing on. People from 18 to 30 who may have um, tried to um, uh, kill themselves by suicide. So they uh, invite them into um, sessions where they use dialectical behavioral therapy and learn to experience life in a different way, t- just to reframe life. And they learn about nutrition as well. So they learn about the gut-brain axis with me. We do. Um, Some uh, sessions with smoothies where they learn to actually create a smoothie that is beneficial for the gut and the brain and what the nutrients are that are involved and so on. So I had a relationship with them and I thought okay, it would be really lovely to do a study with them. So we did this study where we used uh, a corner in the kitchen where the employees of the charity could actually learn about the benefits of doing the same smoothies that we've been using for the delegates of the the You Are Not Alone group. So they had the ability to learn, but they could scan a QR code and actually learn about the benefits of fiber and kefir and so on. And they had a blender or two blenders and they had different things that they could mix readily available for them to have the smoothie every day. So that was a nice kind of a workplace initiative. And what we were trying to go with initially was to have a microbiome test before and after but we couldn't get the ethics approved in time to do the studies so we went without the microbiome test and we we used a number of different um, psychological tests instead just to get an understanding okay has this got legs if we see that at psychological level this is working then we can actually go and do this as a bigger study with the microbiome test so it, it had legs you covered it in um, mm-hmm. um, on nutrient ingredients I think you described it as having powerful, powerful powerful effects on emotional health and for me that was exciting because a lot of studies focus on negative things so you you look at the negative and that is your endpoint and then you measure the reduction of the risk or the reduction in depression or the reduction in anxiety and that is a way of working It can be quite satisfying at a clinical level but there's also the 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 other end of the spectrum what about the wellness end what about the, the the thriving and the flourishing so we did ask people about things that could be construed as being negative you know lack of energy or you know whatever uh low mood but we also asked them about thriving and about flourishing. So we use scales that are used in a more positive psychology kind of a, a angle. And, and it had a lot of, uh, um, a lot of power for, for the um, small group. That was again, like 15 people. So if I had all the money in the world, I would take this to a large organization and I would run it. So we do um, several um, microbiome tests. And we try um, the same kind of um, psychology-based uh, tests as well, and try to find associations between the changes in the microbiota and the and the behavioural change as well, and interview people as well, have more time with them, and ask them how they felt throughout the process. So all of that would be, you know, that that combined would be a dream dream study for me
0: brilliant keep me posted and (laughs) if and when you do it and I'll make sure to keep my eye out for that well thank you so much for your time today Miguel I really appreciate that as always it's been super insightful um, and I really look forward to keeping up with all your R&D work into the future as well so thanks for joining me thank you so much Nikki
1: thank you (laughs)